right, kids, you can head on upstairs. Braxton's all hyper and first one up there because he had a nice donut this morning with peanut butter on it and didn't bring me one. I uh, was giving thought <clears throat> on the message this morning and and uh, had about decided not to preach this one and had had uh, another one out and sorry Zane I was looking at it during your connections class and then Lord changed my mind and brought it back to this one and so I pray that it can be a help to all of us I give thought to our our uh, graduates and I always appreciate the energy that they have in in the next stage of life and they're excited and and nervous and anticipating and and those are are great things and uh, as as a parent that has now shipped them all out and it it um, kind of give you some words of of experience now that I didn't have and those that have already done this you understand this but uh, it helps me to be able to watch your kids go out and and become the adults that God wants them to be and and they and God does want that, and he wants them to become adults, and he, he wants them to trust him. He wants them to uh, let their faith be their faith, not your faith as the parents, but, and, and to grow. And, and, but it, it has reminded me how, how important it is to have a solid family structure that your kids can uh, model that they can remember the uh, experiences that they have had in, in growing up and they have been able to watch the, the mom and dad love each other and, and love them. And, and it's also uh, gratifying and, and not gratifying, but uh, I guess it is in some way, but also it, it just eases your mind when you can see your children, even if they're not around here and they move, that they're grounded in a good, solid church somewhere and where they can uh, serve the Lord and they have that support uh, of their church family. And uh, it has shown me how important both of those aspects are uh, in, in raising our children and in turning them loose and uh, letting God have them and, and take and do with them as he wants to. And and we as parents can, can rest in the promises that God has given us as we are obedient and doing our best to teach them the word of God, that God will take them and use them in the way that uh, he wants to. We just have to make sure we're raising our children in that way and preparing them that way and giving them that kind of home and making sure that they're in a, a solid uh, uh, Christ-loving, Christ-honoring, uh, Bible-believing uh, church somewhere where they can uh, serve the Lord. So uh, it, it's a reminder, and because we know as uh, we go out and and you start adulting, that's almost a bad word, Nate. That word, adulting. Who who really likes to adult? No, I don't. I and my wife sometimes says I'm not and so but uh, you know it, it it's it's different 
you get out of high school and, and you're going to find if you go to college, well, different is a different, uh, that's a whole different step than high school. You know, high school, you could, I, I would, I, I refuse to do homework. I'd do it at school. I, I would, if the teacher was mumbling about something, I was finishing my other class up. And, and uh, I, I still, to this day, teachers, if you can't get your subject taught in the hour that you have, then you need to work at it and do better. Quit giving your kids a bunch of homework. I'm serious. That's their home time. That's their family time. Leave them alone. Let them be able to go home. And I have the pressures of thinking that in, in your arrogance that your subject is the most important thing in their life. No, it's not. And for most of you that are not going to college, welcome to the first day of never having to use algebra ever again. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I'm 54 and I still hate homework. And but you know what you'll find in college, you will go in and they will spout off and talk to you for about 50 minutes, and then they will give you like seven times the homework that you ever had in high school. And you think, what am I supposed to do with this? Well, grow up and take responsibility and do it, and then. Then you'll get out of college, and you'll think, man, I'm glad I'm out of that. And then, you, then life hits you right upside the head, you know. And then all of a sudden, you find someone you love, and you, you get married, and then the kids come along, you have a job, and you're trying to figure out how life is going to work, and, and you are caught up in all of those things. And, and that's when it's almost like your life gets in a blender. And... and uh, um, I'm not here to scare any of our graduates. I'm not here to scare anyone that's here, but life sometimes is a blender, and you're doing everything. You're just hanging on to the side, hoping you don't get sucked down in there and uh, because things get kind of crazy. And again, it brings me back to the importance of a good family structure and a good church body that loves you, that you can turn to, and they're there to love you, to help support you, and get you through whatever the whatever the chaos is of the day, and uh, we we need to we need to understand that because this world is chaotic, and this world would love to uh, keep you in that chaos and keep you focused on the things that the world says is important, and and what it does is it it just keeps you in such a turmoil that uh, you cannot understand truly what God's will is, and sometimes you just have to slow down and and uh, get back to the basics of what God wants and get out of that state of unrest. And our, our country right now, our communities, are they're not in a state of, of rest. They are in a state of unrest. And people are wondering what they are to do. There, there's all kinds of anxiety. We've been dealing with this now, and I could preach on this every week, and and I don't. I, I hope that this can be a help to you today, as we can reevaluate what's going on in our lives and and how we can be the family structure we need to be and be the kind of church that we need to be that that can help in 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 these tumultuous times and uh, stop some of this that's going on. I mean, people are constantly looking uh, to make a change. There, uh, we we. Uh, you know, whether it's in your, your, your lifestyle, Chris and I were talking before, you know, maybe we should lose some weight, Chris, but that means that we can't eat donuts anymore. And so you have to weigh that. And I think donuts far outweigh 
uh, a, a, a fancy body, right? And so uh, this is a body made by donuts, and we're happy with that. And so uh, we die happy, right? But no, there's people always, they're, they're looking to make a change. They're not happy with so, you know, something in their life. They're not happy with the way they look. They're not happy with the way their hair looks today. Or, y- you know, the nice thing that has happened this spring with all of the wind, it's kind of gotten to the point nobody really cares what your hair looks like. You know, because it all looks the same, right? <laughs> and so, uh, blown everywhere. And, and sorry, Tyann, I know you make a living trying to fix that. And I guess the wind's your friend, you know? There, there are those that are not going to be happy with that. But there's an anxiousness. There's an unsettledness. There's, there's chaos. There, there's distractions. There's, uh, people are just constantly seeking and trying to find some answers. And, and the, the nice thing, and I, and I shared that this morning with our graduates, Psalm 119, 105 says that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so it's God's word that is that lamp and that light, and, and Satan will do everything he can to hide that path and to um, uh, keep you from coming to that point in your life where you can have peace and joy and comfort and encouragement and, and contentedness, and, and rather he's going to try to keep you unsatisfied with where you are. And the, the state of unrest that we are in today is because that so many are just not satisfied with where they are. And they're always looking and always wanting more. And, and they're for, forever coveting things that they don't have. And, and thinking that by, by that, getting those things that, that they are coveting and wanting so badly that that is going to bring them happiness. And you find out that it's all a part of the curse of this world that the more you have, the more you have, the more you want. And, and it's a constant state of, of where you're, you're, you will never be satisfied with where you are. And, and that brings about that state of unrest. Well, that state of unrest is brought about by coveting. And God has shown us that coveting is not a good thing. And, and, and uh, we, we need to confess that. We need to forsake it. And and we need to f- find the, the settled heart that God wants us to have in this life. And, and our graduates, I think it's great. You guys going out searching, and, and you have the whole world in front of you. But as Pastor West said, and as God has said, keep him first in your life, and you will find that, that, that life will go a little bit easier. And, oh, there's still going to be challenges along the way, but in your obedience and in your faith of the Word of God, you will find that God can give you a direction and give you a peace that this world will never, ever, ever give you. And in Psalm 119, in verse 36, here is the, 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 the springboard verse that we will look at. And, and it says in verse 36, he, he says, uh, the psalmist writes, he says, Incline my heart unto thy testimonies. Now, there are many times when David in his psalms had, had asked God to incline unto my prayers, and, and that has the idea of bending down and, and hearing his prayers, and, and God does, and, and, and we're thankful that, that he is listening, and, and those who are children of God, I want you to know that God is listening to you, and, and, and here this has a little bit different idea, incline my heart unto thy testimonies. Now, 
here, same, same word, but here in the, the action of it, it means, Lord, bend my heart to thy testimonies. You see, our, our heart is, des- is, is deceitful and desperately wicked. And our heart needs to be bent and broken to the will of God and, and to the testimonies of God and to the word of God. And that is exactly the opposite of what our flesh and what our heart wants. Our heart wants what the heart wants and, and going to go after those things if we allow it. And, and you will get to a point where you will do anything that you can to get what the heart wants. And it will lead to devastation. And that isn't at all what, what we want to do in, in the dreams that we have as, as believers today and even as our graduates today and in, in your dreams that you have and the goals that you have. Make sure that they are God-honoring, God-centered goals that you have. And make sure that God is first in that and, and allow God to bend your heart unto thy testimonies, unto the word of God. That's why, look, through all of the years in, in, in the ministry, I, I see people get angry at the preacher all the time. Look, I, I'm in the same boat as you. God has to bend my heart to his testimonies. God has to, uh, to, to do things in my life to bring me to the obedience of his word that, that needs to be. And I'm just sharing what what God uh, wants in your life also. So don't kill the messenger. Take it to God if you're angry about it and tell him about it. But when you see in God's word and he's bringing you to a point in your life, whatever it is, that he is bending your heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness. You see, we want and want and want, and God is saying the only thing that you ought to want is him. We ought to want Him in all of the things in our lives. We ought to want Him to be first place. We ought to want Him to be control of of our lives. And and He's the one that gives us the dreams that we have and the goals in life that we have. It's God that ought to be doing that. He's the one that that ought to be the center of our dinner table and, and in our family. And He ought to be leading the dad. He ought to be leading the mother. He ought to be blessing the family as they're raising their children and and he ought to be the one that is the priority in our lives and bringing honor and glory to him in all areas of our lives and 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 God knows this and and here he tells us and in the psalmist writing this Lord bend my heart to your testimonies to your word and let me not follow after all of the fleshly dreams that I have but rather let them be your dreams that you have for me and show me your will. And, and, and they're really not dreams that God has for you. It's his will. We need to know his will. And, and, and he will light the way that close the doors, open doors, and, and we'll find that. But oh, how often we get caught up in this covetous uh, uh, ideas and thinking. So what is covetousness? Well, turn over to Colossians chapter 3. And, and we'll just let the Bible answer it and tell us what covetous is and covetousness is. And, and we will uh, let the Bible explain itself. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5, here he gives us some commands that things that we ought to be doing. He says, mortify therefore your members. And that word mortify means to put it to death. Wow, that's kind of hard language, isn't it? That's a command. 
What is it that you are to put to death? Your members. What are the members? The, your fleshly instruments of lust. It's the deadly foe of a new life. It's following the heart and doing whatever the heart wants to do and, and fulfilling whatever it is that, that, that you think is going to bring you happiness. May I tell you that, that whatever that is and whatever the is that you're believing and thinking that following after these things and fulfilling the, the, the lust that you have and the fleshly desires that you have, thinking that that is going to bring you happiness will only bring you disappointment. It will. And it will cause more of a state of unrest in your mind. And, and then it will want to take you further and further, thinking, oh, you're on the path, and, and you're just going to go a little bit further and a little bit further. It, it's kind of like the other day I was fishing in this, this, this little shallow piece of this lake, and, and uh, you could see the fish swimming around. And it was really cool. I took and I'd throw the, throw the lure out there and had, had the bait on it, and I'd sit there and watch, and, and just patiently you'd just watch. You know, and that fish, he was swimming around, and, and it was a nice-sized catfish. You know, I'm sitting there watching, and, and he's just swimming around, and, and I throw it up above him so I figure that the scent can come down to him easy. And, and he's sitting there, and then pretty soon here he comes. And you just watch him, and you can watch him getting closer and closer. And, and it's kind of like us in our lives. We, 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 we uh, uh, are, are the, the, here's, here's our dreams that are on this hook, all right? The heart wants what the heart wants, right? Here you are, and, and it's a nice piece, old juicy piece of meat. And you think, man, that's good. And, and uh, what you don't know is there's a nice big hook in it, right? And, and I wasn't prepared for this at all. All I had was this little bitty hook on. Uh, to uh, uh, I was I was trying to catch the red-eared sunfish, and then I see this catfish. So hey, I'm an opportunist fisherman, you know. Whatever wants to come by, I'll catch you or try, right? And so I'm sitting there, and he comes up there, and finally, it's just more than he can handle. And he takes a big bite of it. Well, I after a couple of bad experiences, I knew you got to let him take it, and then you got to let him swallow it because I got that little bitty hook. You know, and then he takes it, and he's like, oh, this is good. Then he swallows it, and then, yeah, like that. Out he comes, nail in his head, skins him, puts him in the refrigerator, and he's lunch tomorrow. I know. Some of you are like, that's exactly what happens with us. It really is. We're tempted. Now, you know what happened to a couple of them? A couple of them, they bit that. And I got antsy, and I jerked it, and I jerked it right out of his mouth. And that fish was like, I don't want no, I don't want no piece of that again. That's some of us. That's God's grace. That's God's mercy, isn't it? He jerks it out of our mouth before we're caught by it. And, and we need to understand that we need to get away from that. But, but here, we, we need to mortify those things that are taking us down a path, because otherwise you're going to get hooked one day. And you're going to find that it's extremely hard then to get away. And, and, and really many of them get caught up in the blender. And, and many end up uh, losing their lives to disappointment and discouragement. And live their whole life without God. Without making a decision to, to understand that there is something so much better being offered to all of us. So we mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. What are they? Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, and we know fornication, any kind of 
Why is it, too, with our flesh that, and it does, that, that so much of the sin of the world is of some type of sexual immorality? Our country is fascinated, our world is fascinated by sexual immorality. And, and, and it's everywhere. It's not just our country. It's worldwide. And why? Because that's a, one of the main problems that all of mankind has. The devil knows that. It's going to be out there. And so we need to learn how to deal with those things. And just because society says something's okay doesn't say that the Bible says it's okay. We need to do what the Bible says. And, and we need to do it because we know that he loves us. And, and we know that it's better than what the world has to offer. And and so the fornication is any kind of sexual immorality, unlawful acts, and, and the word pornography comes from the word that is used for fornication, and so stay away from those things. And uh, the uncleanness, also uh, any kind of defilement and impurities in our lives, and trying to seek uh, um, comfort and trying to seek joy and happiness through the things that the world has, and they are impure, the Inordinate affections have the idea of a craving and a passion of a sexual nature that there are no boundaries. We have that today. No boundaries. And, and so, and then evil concupiscence. And, and this one also, same way. Unrestrained evil desires that we have. And, and it's evil. And, and then you have all of those immoral acts that he's dealing with. And then it's strange, isn't it? Then he says, in covetousness, on top of all of that. And it's covetousness that he's referring to when he says, which is idolatry. So covetousness really kind of wraps all of those others together, and, and you find out that idolatry, covetousness are together, and, and if there's idolatry, then there's going to be immorality. Why? Because ultimately what you have found is that you have placed your heart on the throne and that is what is going to direct you and guide you and, and make the decisions for you. And so it's going to lead to a life of all of this immorality. And so we see that it is immoral. And we need to mortify those things and stop that because secondly, we know that it's idolatry. What is idolatry? Image worship. Idolatry ultimately is anything that takes the place of God being first in your life. And in our world today, we ourselves have become our own gods. We ourselves have placed, our, uh, we have placed ourselves on that throne and it's there that, that we are ruling and we are the ones that are going to be in charge of our lives and we're going to decide what is best for us when we can't even, we don't even know what happens tomorrow. We can't even get a forecast right. How in the world do we think that we're going to know what tomorrow brings? And, and so we make all of these plans and, and we think how great we are and, and how we are so organized in all of these things. And, and, and then you find out as you place your heart and, and yourself upon that throne, you find out that all it's going to do is bring you into a worship, into a lifestyle of immorality, and it's going to be a time where you will find out that your heart is insatiable. I, I never knew what that word was. My wife so often would say, you know, Shannon, some of your personality, you're just insatiable. I'm like, quit cussing at me. 
And then I looked it up. Sometimes we're just never satisfied. I think she said that when, Jim, maybe I was in the car lot for about the 20th time looking at a new vehicle. I mean, that's, you know, that, that's, I admit it, gun shops and car lots are a bad place for me to go. So uh, I, I'm, I'm an addict. I admit it. And so if you're with me, lead me another way, all right? Keep me away from that. <laughs> and so, but it, it, the, the idea that, and that's what covet just means. It means you're insatiable, you're greedy, you, you have a life of avarice and, and trying to find all of your happiness in these things. One, one man said that when one falls down at the shrine of things that are desires to have, but which are not his, they become his idol, and that is what he or she worships. And so we get to the point where we worship these things, and, and that's where we are today. We are in a state of unrest because we are living in a state and a mindset of covetousness where we want what everybody else has that we don't have, and rather we need to be looking at what does God want for me. And let us focus on that. And so what are the symptoms? We, so now we see, so what is covetousness? It's immoral and it's idolatry. And what, what are some of the symptoms of, of covetousness? Well, let's just let the Bible explain this. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to look here first of all, and, and we're going to see someone that falls to the idea of covetousness, and, and it's Eve. And in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, here we have a lady created by the hands of God, has a, ladies listen to this, has a perfect husband. I mean, he was perfect. There was no sin yet. She had the perfect husband and still wasn't satisfied. So guys, take heart. All right? <laughs> So here's, here they were, wonderful position. This ought to tell you how sly the devil is. She's living in a perfect place, living and communing with a perfect God, and has everything in front of her that she could ever think of, and, and, and all things were perfection, and the devil talked her out of it. And, and, and ultimately, she's not the one to blame. She was deceived Adam wasn't deceived, he just chose to sin and chose to do it, and it lands on Adam's shoulders. And because of his sin, he brought a curse upon this entire world. And we are still facing that curse today. But here it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? No, that's not what God said. God said you can eat of all of the trees in the, in the garden except for one. Don't touch it. You can have the rest. Enjoy all that you can. Why is it that so often we're just not satisfied with what God has given us? We want what God says don't have. You find out that all it's going to do is bring disaster in your life. The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, uh, the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye, got, lest ye die. God didn't say that either. Here we are making up things that God has said. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. 
And so, oh, yeah, you will. They didn't know that, but yes, you will. And for God doth know that in, and now he goes on to justify what he, he's uh, trying to do in, in uh, tricking her. And that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat it. Now, I'm not going to stay on this for very long, but what are the symptoms of covetousness? One of the, and, and we could probably park here and preach on, on just this, but the one that I want to bring out one of the ideas of covetousness that we deal with today is you want to be someone that you aren't. Why do we have to do that? Why, why do we have to think that we need to impress someone? Why is it that we think that, that, that we need to live our lives and make sure that we have the approval of everyone around us? You know, I, I'll, I'll give you an illustration of this. When I when I found liberty in the ministry, when I, I came out of school, I mean, I was gung-ho, and, 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 and I understand why our Bible colleges, they have some strict rules, they have some strict standards, and those are good to have. And so while you're there, you learn some discipline, because if you don't have discipline in this life, you're going to be in all kinds of trouble. And so I learned some things, and, and I come out of there, and, and, I, and I start pastoring church, a church in Missouri, and I went through the blender. And so came out here 25 years now and, and, and uh, hung on to the edge of the blender on several times. And so, but, but um, uh, in, in that, we, we uh, <sighs> I was always ministering and pastoring and thinking, okay, I need to do it this way because... What, what's my former pastor, what's Dr. Carallo going to think, or what, what is Dr. Comfort, or what, what's the school going to think, what, what are those men that, that invested their lives in me, what is it that they are going to think? Well, it took several years to the point where I finally got to where I said, you know what, it really doesn't matter what they think. What matters is what does God think? Truly, what does God, what does God think about what I'm doing? Do, do I, as a pastor, look, I, I pastor a group of people they've never pastored before. They, they don't know anything about the, the group that we have. They know nothing about our community. They know nothing about the culture. They know nothing about who I am and, and truly about my personality and how I handle certain things and, and how other people are going to handle that. And, and, and so you can live your whole life and, and you can base your whole life on what everybody else thinks. And you're going to find out you're going to be completely disappointed in living that way, and you're going to find out that there will be some that you please and some that you don't. And then the next day you're going to wake up, and you're going to do something, and these people are pleased and these people aren't pleased. And you can pull your hair out doing that. And, and as graduates, you need to, the, as soon as you can understand, the only one that truly matters in your life is what does God think. What are you doing? Are you truly living for God? Are you doing what it is that God has shown you to do? And are you living for Him? And stop living in this idea that, and, and being so 
I, I don't know, just trying to be somebody that you're not. That is a form of covetousness, trying to be somebody that you aren't. Stop being that. Oh, Eve wanted to be something that she wasn't. She was in a state of perfection. God talked her out of it, or de- the devil talked her out of it. How amazing that is that we can fall into that trap. Another one, and it hits it, it, uh, in Exodus 20. Turn over to Exodus 20, if you would. Verse 14, thou shalt not commit adultery. Why? Because he goes on in verse 17. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. So that means, Nigel, I can't be lusting after your trail boss when you come driving in. Well, good for you. I'm glad you got a nice truck. And I could spend my whole life thinking, man, I want one of those. Spend my whole life thinking, I want something. I, I deserve something better than I have. I got to have something like that. Or here, you can, you can and in this society, that what we have today is everybody coveting somebody else's wife. How dangerous is that? I got to thinking of this this week, and I, I was like, why in the world did I even look on it? Morgan County Bulletin Board, I think it was on there on Facebook this week, and some guy got on there and, and, and uh, says he's a single guy, and he's just like, where can I hang out and find somebody? Well, I would say that, you know, first of all, put God first, and then uh, a, a good place to find somebody that would be a godly individual would be in church. Probably wouldn't be at Queen's Lounge. I'm just trying to be honest with you and truthful and, and, and not, hey, and just because they go to church doesn't mean a whole lot either at times, okay? You better find God's will. You better find out what God wants and be happy with where you are and be happy with what, what's going on in your life. Maybe be happy with being single and you definitely need to stay away from somebody else's wife. Anyway, that guy gets on there, hey, you know, I'm looking for some money. And they give him all these options of, of, of things to do. And, and somebody said, hey, you, most of the places you go, the only people dating are those that are already married. That was a statement. I'm like, moving on. Why did I read the comments, you know? I wanted to see if somebody put a church on there, you know? (laughs) And then I read these things, and and it's so prevalent in our society today. You know, we, we we are indoctrinated into thinking like animals, thinking that we can just go around and swap mates and swap spouses and and look, I, I know that, that many of you have gone through some of this stuff in your life, and, and, and I understand that, and I'm not against you. and want to help you, but I'm telling you, if you're married today, you stay married to your spouse and leave mine alone. And leave somebody else's alone. It's a good thing I'm not a judge. Somebody comes in, and they have beat the tar out of somebody that was chasing after their wife. I'll be like, Good for you. Give this man $30 to take his wife out to eat. (laughs) Where's the adulterer? You, buddy, are going to jail. Think about your wayward ways. Know how we ought to guard against that and be careful with that. Remember what it says, how this covetous idea will get us into so much trouble. Uh, Solomon wrote about it over in Proverbs 5. 
and, and this is what he says in Proverbs 5, 15. Uh, avoid it and, and uh, oh, that's four. I knew that didn't sound right. Drink waters out of thine own cistern and running waters out of thine own well. Be happy with the spouse that you have. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad and rivers of water in the streets. Let them be only thy own and not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee all the times and be thou ravished always with her love. Why will thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. God is watching everything that you are doing. Oh, let us be careful. That is a symptom of covetousness. You think, oh, that look at that marriage. Just seems to be such a marriage in heaven. Oh, how I wish that my husband was like that. Or, oh, how I wish that my wife was like that or or whatever and you know what be the kind of man that you ought to be as God has shown you be the kind of woman that God has shown you to be in the word of God and you know what you'll find out your marriage will be blessed by God and so live that way and be thankful for that and and move forward but oh we want something that isn't ours and we want someone that isn't ours in Luke chapter 12 I got to hurry with this but Luke chapter 12, another symptom of this is that we just seem to want more of that American pie, that American dream. I call it the American dream pie. I remember I, I was the photographer for uh, in high school for the yearbook, and that was back when we actually used film, guys. And, and you didn't know what kind of picture you had until you took it in the dark we developed our own film and I worked in the dark room and you know and do all of that and and you're just praying that you got something you know, you're a teenager half the time you forgot to take a picture when you were supposed to you know and then you take the picture and anyway I was at this FFA thing this is why I never joined the FFA um, but they were having their I don't know some yearly thing and they were having a pie eating contest and so they had these five guys down there, and they were eating these cream pies. And, and there was one guy, and he really deserved it. But, and, and I might have been told ahead of time that this was going to happen. So his picture is in, in the yearbook today. Nobody knows. But anyway, they dive in to have this pieing contest, and his is full of horse manure. It was the most awesome picture I have ever taken for the yearbook. <laughs> you're going to remember that one <laughs> when all we want is just a little bit bigger piece of the American dream pie that's the bite that you're going to get you know you're going to fall in love with the world and you're going to give everything you have to this world and it'll take everything that you have and then stab you in the heart but God can give you something that is everlasting. God can give you something that will satisfy. God will give you something that can make you content where you are. God can give you something that can never be taken away, can't be bought with anything that this world has, cannot be taken away by anything that this world has, and give you a place of peace 
in your life. You see people here in, in Luke 12, 13, and 14, one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? First of all, you think about the American dream, and, and you know what it does? It divides family. Doesn't it? How, oh, how many times? Have, and, and you know me, I, I mean, I, I, I think I'm bolder now in my older age. I'm closer to heaven now, so if you kill me, so be it, you know? But even younger, I, I remember going to a, uh, dealing with a, a, a lady uh, years ago in our church family, and a little widow lady, and, and she had nothing, okay? She had nothing. She had a, a little house, and that was pretty much all that she had. And, and at the time, the housing market wasn't as crazy as it is today. So she had next to nothing, all right? And there was five or six kids in the family. I don't know how many there were. And I finally got them together, and I said, you guys ought to be ashamed of yourselves. I did, and I, I'm surprised they still let me do the funeral. I said, you, you guys ought to be ashamed of yourselves. You, you have divided yourselves, and, and here you are. You have said that you are a born-again believer, and you're fighting over a widow's might. How sad is it that we allow the, the, our greed and our covetousness to, to divide something that God has brought together? Your family Oh, how we ought to love our family and love one another and, and this covetousness. How many friendships have been, have been separated and divided over, a, I don't know, giving somebody $20. Oh, how we love to keep track of those things. Who owes what? And, and we're covetous in, in our ideas. And, and oh, how we see that it divides family and, and gives us a wrong perspective. And God says in verse 15, he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Matter of fact, you find out the more you own, the more responsibility it is. If you're going to use it for God, you're better off to have less. Use it for God, it's less to keep track of. And then it brings you to a selfish greed, and he spake a parable unto them, saying, ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see what covetousness does? It brings us to a point where we're just never, ever satisfied. You know what happens then? You try to medicate it. You do. You try to put a bomb on your, on your, your failed anticipations. And you know what I found? Reality is never the same as expectations, is it? And so we start medicating by falling then to what the world says will bring you happiness, and people fall to drugs, they go to alcohol, they look to porn, they other addictions, they, they bounce from one relationship to another, their, their job brings no satisfaction, so they're jumping from job to job to job, they're you, you find out that your, 
your, your purse or your billfold has holes in it and, and you never seem to have enough money. And, and then pretty soon some of them, some of you maybe be to the point where you've gotten to the point where you think, there is just nothing here for me and so you want to end your life. Well, I'm telling you, that's the world telling you and deceiving you, but God has something for you that is so much better. And when you find forgiveness in him and you open your heart and trust in what he has done, he gave his life for you so that you don't have to deal with the wrath of God. You call on him to forgive you and and you trust him as your savior and you say, I don't want any part of that life anymore, but I want to live for you, God. You know what he does? He saves you and he gives you direction and he gives you a plan and gives you peace in doing it. So what is the plan? Well, four steps and we'll be done. First of all, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 in this plan then to, to have a settledness in my mind and, and to not be living in this state of unrest all the time. Well, uh, Jesus here is talking on the Sermon on the Mount and, and the first thing he says in verse 3 is blessed. That word blessed means to be happy. Isn't it amazing? We can be happy in this world. As a believer, I've been convicted by that so often, as a pastor so often, I get so aggravated with the immoral, the immorality of our world and, and the craziness of our politicians. And, and, and uh, that, these things send you overboard, okay? Brooklyn, New York has a zoo. Anybody been to the zoo in Brooklyn? Anybody here? Wes, only one. They have an elephant. In the Brooklyn Zoo, has been there 40, 43 years, I think. This elephant's been there. They now have gone to the higher courts of the state of New York to decide that whether that elephant has the same basic human rights that we as humans have. Because she has been held against her will for 43 years. Well, I say, hey, if we got a problem with that, Take, a, take this poor little elephant then to the headquarters of PETA, open the doors and turn her loose and tell PETA to take care of her. She wants to live in the headquarters of the PETA place and live there happily ever after. But I think I see things like that, and so, yeah, you can get pretty angry, but here God is saying, we don't have to live that way. Even in all this craziness, blessed or happy are the poor in spirit. And so here we are, we are blessed by God. We are totally reliant on God. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn. We mourn over our sin. We mourn over the wickedness of this world. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek in absence of self. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, 
For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Seek biblical happiness, and how do you do that? By living for eternity. Don't live for this world, and don't live for the, 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 uh, the immediate gratification, but live for the honoring and glorifying of God our Savior, looking forward to the day that we will see our reward in heaven. Philippians chapter 4, second thing, be content with God's plan for your life. It may not be what you plan to be. I, I told you many times, I shared it in, in our connections class again today. I told my mom and dad, this was after I had gotten a severe spanking out in the, in the middle of the street on a Sunday morning because I wasn't behaving in church. I told them, I said, I'm get on my own. I'm never going to go to church, and I'm going to raise stinky pigs. That was my goal for life. God said, no, I don't think so. I, I think I need to keep you out of jail by making you a preacher. And so now I am, as I said in Connections, I am a preacher who's in every service and raising stinky sheep. <laughs> Everybody's like, it's okay be content with God's plan whatever it is Philippians 4.11 not that I speak in respect of want for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content whatever wherever God has you wherever God has you in your job wherever God has you as as a single person or or as a married couple and, and your children you think man this is you know I don't, I don't know how we're going to do this. Well, maybe you don't know how, but God does. And look to him and know that God has you right where he wants you. And so listen to him and give him the honor and the glory that he deserves and, and, and be, be content with God's plan. And, and if you don't have as much as someone else, it's okay. You know what you can do? You can get on your hands and knees and, and you can pray and, and you can have your children pray and your spouse pray and, and you can watch God give you things and, and meet your needs in a special way where there is no way other than giving God the glory because you know we're out of means and there's no way for this to happen except for God to do it and you watch God do it. You give him the honor and the glory for that and, and he says, not that I speak in uh, speaking respect to one, he said, I've learned that in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Whatever it is, whatever state you are in, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That's what Paul was saying. So be content with God's plan. First John chapter 2, I'm almost done, I promise. But you need to hear these. I, it's the help to all of these situations. 1 John 2, verses 14 through 17. Stop basing blessings on wealth. Just don't base your blessings of God on your wealth. It, it might have been somewhat like that in the Old Testament, but it is not like that today. Don't base God's blessings on how much you have. That's the world. Oh, the world will look at these people and say, man, uh, wouldn't that be awesome to have all the money that Bill Gates has? No, because you'll probably get a warped mind just like him. Oh, wouldn't it be great to fly to the moon? 
No. There's no hunting up there. <laughs> but here, you, you need to understand 1 John 2 and verse 14. I've written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I've written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The, the sooner... The earlier in our life that we can understand that and just look to serve God, you'll find out how much more productive and how much more blessed your life can be. How do I know that? Because some have not lived that way until later, and then they understood it, and they want to go back and redo things. Well, those of you who are just graduating, you have a great opportunity. Put God first and don't love the things in this world. And stop basing blessings on wealth and and don't be ashamed if, if someday that, that maybe you're not the, the most successful in your graduating class when, when the world is looking at you and thinking, well, because you're not driving the Maserati and, and you didn't sign some gazillion dollar contract with someone or, or whatever, and you, you go back to that reunion and you think, man, I don't have anything but, uh, to, to brag about or to, or, or to tell them about, but here you are, you're a godly individual, and, and you have a wonderful family, and God is blessing you and meeting your needs, and you can walk in there and you can tell people about Jesus, and, and you don't care whether they like you or not, and, and you don't have to care whether you have all the riches or not. It doesn't really matter because you have all the wealth of God the Father, and one day you will receive the rewards in heaven, and you can walk around with the respect and dignity that you ought to have because you're a child of God living in obedience and faith to Him. That is success. That is success. And the last thing, the plan to beat these things that the world is trying to attract us with, turn over to Revelation 20. Look at this, verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Remember who wins. It's not the devil, and it's not his world. It's God. And what we do for eternity, and what we do for God, will we be remembered for all of eternity. By God our Father, God our Creator, and I hope by Christ your Savior. Do you know Him? Most important decision you can ever make in your life is coming to Jesus Christ, realizing it's not about what you can do, it's not about any kind of traditions, it's not about doing all kinds of different things to earn God's merit and, and to earn God's favor in your in in his eyes, it's all about you coming as you are in all of your filth and all of your disgrace and all of your sin and all of your shame. And you come to him and you open your heart and you, and you ask him for forgiveness and you ask him to be your savior and you trust in what he has done for you and place all your faith in him and he'll save you. And then he can make you into exactly what it is 
that he wants you to be. And when the day is over and our life is done, we can say that we have trusted God's plan. And we've lived in a chaotic world, but with a peace that only God can give, and we have been content with where God has us. Let us be used for his glory. Stop. Stop the chaos. Stop this idea that of this unrest that's in your heart. Settle it with God. You don't know him as your Savior? Call on him today. Trust him as your Savior. You need some help with that? Come and tell me. I'll sit down with you or have someone sit down with you and help you settle that. But as a believer, stop. Stop the idea of always wanting, 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 and wanting, and rather be content with what God is doing and where God has you. If God wants to do something with you, he will move you. And so if you are in that state of unrest right now, ask yourself, why? Maybe God has you in a state of unrest because he's wanting you to do something. But if it's just something fleshly in your own heart and your own mind, well, confess it for what it is. It's coveting something that you don't have. Get it out of your life and be what God wants you to be. And let's walk out of here today with no sin between us and our Savior. Let us get it right. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that we can live in a peaceful way and not be in this state of unrest. Lord, I pray you help us all to get there. Whatever needs to be done to get us there, that you will be convicting our hearts of that, and that, Father, each one will react upon that and do what it is that they know they need to do. We ask your blessings in your favor. In Jesus' name, amen. 857.